Welcome to Prevention Intervention, your go-to podcast about avoiding addiction and becoming the best version of yourself. This podcast is brought to you by the Nova Southeastern College of Allopathic Medicine in collaboration with the Florida Blue Foundation. And now, here's your host. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Dion Allen, and I'm the project coordinator for the NSUMD Youth Opioid Initiative. Today, I have with me Misty Eyes. She's the director of transgender services, women's healthy living, and LGBTQ plus training and education at SunServe here in South Florida. Thank you for joining us today, Misty. How are you feeling? I am good. All righty. Well, we're so excited to have you on our podcast, and I'm just excited to get in this conversation with you. So my first question to you is for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. So my name is Misty Eyes. I am an MBA graduate, and I'm currently getting my executive master's in healthcare administration from FAU. So I, too, am a student. I, as you mentioned, I'm the director of three departments at a nonprofit called SunSir. And it, at, at this organization, I basically wear two hats. One is education and training, where I go into corporate America and do trainings. And the other is case management, where I offer assistance to marginalized communities as they struggle to overcome the obstacles and hurdles in their path. Okay. That sounds like... A lot. It uh, is a lot. This <laughs> semester was one of the hardest. I um, signed up to take four classes this semester, and I didn't realize I was going to be buying a house and packing up that house, an old house, and unpacking into a new house, all while trying to do homework. And um, it had been more than I was prepared to take on, but I do believe I have four A's this semester. I just took my last final yesterday. Oh, well, congratulations on both friends yeah. on acquiring a home, you're moving. I know that can be hectic and on the academics as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's awesome. Um, so I guess, would you say like the population that you work with, mm-hmm. it's, it's a diverse population? Um, Absolutely. Okay, so let me ask you specifically, how would you say that substance abuse impacts the LGBTQ plus community? Well, I would definitely say that it's a way of life for the LGBTQ community. Um, When a child is young, they seek their parents for love and emotional support and guidance. And a lot of times, LGBTQI plus children do not get that affirmation and love and empowerment from their families that they should. And so when you are having that void in your life where you need validation and love and you try to hide and run from the trauma or stigma or shame, the biggest thing to do is numb. And so I think that's why gay bars, for example, are so prevalent. I believe here in Broward County, we have 26 gay bars. I will also say after having been a nightclub entertainer for 23 years in those gay bars, Mm -hmm. the gay bar 
is church to the LGBTQ plus community because that is where they go and see, and that's where they go and be seen. And that is their fellowship of like-minded things. And they seek empowering and lifting up and you can be in a gay bar and get all that affirmation that you need from your loved ones. Mm -hmm. So when you live in an environment or state or community where you feel ostracized and unloved, it is very common to turn to drugs and alcohol for that immediately sense of escape yeah. uh, to alleviate those painful feelings and self-hatred. And when you do learn to love yourself and accept your flaws, that turns out to not be the answer. Mm-hmm. But to get to that point in your life to where you realize that you are beautiful and amazing and you were created the way you were created because there's a divine purpose on your life. It might take a minute to get to that place, but a lot of LGBTQIA do take a pit stop in drugs and alcohol, and that becomes a way of life for most. Mm. You've, you've shared a lot there and some very important points. You know, what I get is just that that need for connection and validation and absolutely you know, having that support where i mean you expect to get it from your loved ones your family and if it's not there it's like you turn elsewhere and you know substances yeah yeah it's really it really is a major issue and i know it and i do know i mean i don't know the details but i do know how you know it does impact the community of the lgp TQI, so I see um, community. Absolutely. Um, have you worked so well? What about the youth then? I know it impacts the community as a whole, but what have you like? Have you anything to share specifically for youths? You know, that time when you're going through your, you're forming your identity, your, yeah. you know, you know, that critical for those formative years. Like, I feel like it may have an impact on the youth even more. Not more so, but like an indelible impact on youth. What 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 are your thoughts on that? Well, again, these this population, the young people, are at the most critical time of their life. They need most the love and the affirmation that that could help them thrive and survive. But I I will say, unfortunately, youth are very creative, <laughs> and I say unfortunately because they are going to find free or cheap or accessible things. I remember when I was young, I'm 47 now, but when I was young, we would huff spray paint Hmm. and you would take, um, well, I don't want to tell you how to do it, but um, (laughs) I remember one of the girls, one of my best friends learned how to be anorexic from an after-school special about anorexia. And she literally learned from somebody trying to help her not be anorexic to become anorexic. So, and bulimic actually, um, and how to hide it because the girl in the TV show is hiding it. But um, I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but I remember from being elementary school, huffing markers and, or not huffing, but sniffing markers and then huffing spray paint. And what the kids are doing now, um, I heard recently that the kids are doing something very similar. I can't remember what it was, but I'm like, oh, we used to huff spray paint, which I I can't remember what they're doing now, but they're going to get into substances and chemicals and um, 
they're going to find creative ways to numb if they need to numb. And I think the answer is not providing the opportunity for them to numb, but providing them with the love so they don't have to numb. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then when you think about it, when we think about like, for example, the opioid crisis, Mm -hmm. things of like the fentanyl and the prescription meds and so on, but you made a really valid point. Like you have so many types of substances out there and you know, you said the youth are creative, they'll find it. So, you know, Depot or, (laughs) you know, they'll find chemicals all over the place. And, you know, I think there's a huge correlation between marginalization and mental health Mm -hmm. and substance use. And you are not responsible for the mental health you have. You have the mental health because of your chemical body, DNA, and chemical makeup. You have the mental health you have because society has treated you a certain way, whether you're black or brown or LGBTQIA or whatever. Those chemicals that your body has made up to your existence makes you more susceptible to depression or anxiety or fear or trauma. And knowing knowing that you have those issues allows you to focus on how to solve that and avoid that instead of be traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that once you realize there's a problem, you can circumvent the situation. Absolutely. Which might be a challenge for the youth because you know, they may not really recognize like, hey, there's a problem here. If you are a young person and you find yourself with the thoughts and ideas of self-harm or the thoughts and ideas of uh, desiring not to wake up, I think a lot of those those thoughts and feelings are parallel in the opioid crisis because uh-huh. I don't want to be alive. I don't want to wake up tomorrow. And if I do have to be awake tomorrow, I don't want to feel. I don't want to, I don't want to feel. I don't want to think. I just want to exist. And that's when you turn to those terrible substances because you're trying to escape. And mm-hmm. if you can if you can realize that you have those desires to not wake up tomorrow, the best thing you could do is seek support. And what I mean by that is, and I, I do tell this to all marginalized communities, find other people in your situation because especially LGBTQIA plus people, we often feel, or I did specifically, I felt like I was the only person in the world that was born with a brain that didn't match my body. I didn't know that other trans people existed. I didn't know there was a word for being assigned male at birth, but having a girl brain. I knew at four years old, I was a girl. I knew Mm -hmm. at nine, I was attracted to boys, but I didn't know there was other people in the world. And when you find other humans that are struggling with whatever you're struggling with. That's so empowering. Wait, you, you, you're broken too. And then when you realize you're not actually broken and you can learn to love yourself and accept your flaws, that is the path to recovery. Mm. Mm -hmm. That would be the answer. Got it. You know, my next question to you is going to be like in your experience, what are some of the most effective resources for substance abuse prevention, especially in that community? Um, I feel like you touched on that a bit. 
Yeah, actually, I didn't even see the next, uh, I didn't know the next question, but um, absolutely support groups. It mm-hmm. don't have to be a support group for substance use. It could be a support group for LGBTQIA+. It could be a support group for obesity. It could be a support group for adult childs of alcoholics. It could be a support group of whatever you're struggling with. Anxiety. Mm-hmm. It could be a support group for uh, whatever you're you're struggling with that's making you lack self-love whatever that obstacle is from allowing you to feel amazing as a human and thrive talk tackle that obstacle that would be the best resource here at sunserve we have a substance use disorder department Mm-hmm. And we have therapists here. We have case managers here that work in SUD that can definitely help you. Um, we have a youth program here at SunServe that could help you. The reality is, like I've said before, you're not alone. Right. And this is not a burden you have to carry alone. And that would be the best resource I could give someone. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% on that. So on the other side of the coin, if you could give any word of advice for youth serving professionals who work with the community of LGBTQ plus I youth or in general, mm-hmm. adults who are at risk of substance abuse, what would that advice be? Hmm. Advice for youth serving professionals. Yeah. I think a lot of times when we look at someone struggling with something addiction or whatever we often see the disorder which is why we have stopped calling people addicts but people with substance use disorder for example so Mm -hmm. like you're not a diabetic you're a person with diabetes so we we take that shift out so people that are helping helping case managers etc this population Remember that your your client is not the disease you're working with mm-hmm. and they are a person struggling with an addiction or they are a person struggling with self-love or they are a person struggling with whatever issues, but they're still a person at the end of the day, at the bottom line, they are still a person and they deserve love and they deserve respect and they deserve empowerment. And if you can see the humanity behind the disorder, that would be the advice I would give to anybody serving these marginalized communities. And, you know, I personally did not choose to be born with a female brain. I did not choose to be male attracted. But growing up, those were the two things that plagued me. And I felt I was broken. And there was a time in my life I thought I was demon possessed because the church told me I was going to hell. And I didn't choose these things. But we as humans, if we can learn to love each other, whether you were born with a different color skin or a different accent or a different ethnic background or a different sexual orientation or different gender identity and realize that we are all humans, I think the world would be a much better place. Absolutely. And I feel like that's beautiful, beautiful advice. Um, I get that, you know, it's just a matter of like reframing how you view that view addiction or the struggle with substance abuse. It's, you know, it was really interesting. You know, I did a course on, I, my, I have a background in psychology and I did a course mm-hmm. in understanding substance abuse. And I remember my professor asked me to just 
the class to just give up something that you love and we're going to do this for two mm-hmm. weeks. And mm-hmm. mine, was, mine was just sugar. Like I love like snacking on sweets, sweets. And, you know, I'll be up studying at night. And when, you know, I get so stressed and overwhelmed, sure. like what I want, like, it's like, I just, it's so automatic. And then I would just go curry, like binge on the sweets. Sure. And it really brought it home for me. The issue concerning substance abuse, it should not be viewed as a weakness in the person, nor should we blame victims who use. The thing is, the substance, whatever it might be, what it does is that it really serves as a source of comfort for a person, that comfort that they're not really getting elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. When I do my DEI trainings and talks, sometimes, depending on the topic and the in the audience, sometimes I'll ask for two or three volunteers to come forward. Mm-hmm. And I ask these two or three volunteers to list the five most important things in their life. Tell me the five most important things in your life that you love or that consume a lot of your time. So just thinking maybe it's skiing, maybe mm-hmm. it's um, knitting. I'm just making up stuff, skiing, knitting, uh, your dogs, let's say you have dogs and your husband and your kids, right? So kids, skiing, knitting, dogs, spouse, children, right? So now I want you to tell me what you did last weekend. I want you to tell the whole audience what you did last weekend, but you're experiencing extreme shame. For your kids, your husband, your dogs, your knitting, and your skiing. And you can't talk about any of those things in your life. Now, tell me what you did last weekend. <laughs> um, I, I went somewhere and did something. And um, I did stuff. And a lot of times when LGBTQIA++ people are living in that extreme self-hatred and shame, they feel like they can't openly discuss huge parts of their life. Mm. And from their family, from their loved ones, their teachers, their professors, their students, their coworkers, their whatever people in their life. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? I went somewhere and did something. Mm. Okay, That sounds great. What, what was this? Where did you go? I can't tell you I went to a gay bar. I can't tell you I went to wherever. You know, you you, yeah. you you learn to hide great parts of yourself. And that impacts the trauma and the shame. And, the trauma. and then that's how people turn to numb. Well, I'm just going to get so drunk I can't remember. Or I'm going to numb with opioids. Or I'm going to shoot up. Or I'm just going to escape for a minute. And that minute turns into an hour. And that hour turns into weeks and you know and one of the things i do uh, going back to the last question the advice we would give to our people working with young people one of the things when i am talking with a person struggling is i understand your need to numb i totally understand your name need to escape and just not be you however None of your problems disappear when you numb and you're going to wake up and you're going to look in the mirror and you're still going to be you. You're still trans. You're still gay. You're still whatever you're struggling with. You're still heavy. You're still skinny. You still have a disability, whatever you're trying to escape from. 
you're still you. And in oftentimes those situations, if you, if you were struggling with work stuff or life responsibilities or not paying your mortgage or whatever, when you sober up and you look in that mirror, those problems of problems have been exacerbated and mm-hmm. you're now struggling a much bigger mountain than you had before you numbed the problem mm-hmm. and running from your problems, make your problems worse than looking in the mirror and saying, look, you got to toughen up. You know, it's time to deal with this drama because I have to deal with this drama. So learning how to communicate with people struggling is the best advice I can give you. And again, see the human, you know, instead of the addiction, instead of the issue and help them figure out why they feel they have to numb in the first place. Got it. Sound, sound, sound advice both for those working with those struggling with substance abuse and those who might be struggling with it. Um, Thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, You know, it's, I learned a lot from our conversation today. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It was my pleasure to be here. Let me know when you need me to come back. Alrighty. I really love that. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Nice talking with everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Be sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll receive notifications as new episodes become available. If you'd like to learn more about this project, be sure to check out our website with the link in our podcast description. Thanks again for listening and remember to stay healthy, stay happy, stay clean. Until next time.